The reading comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 37 to 50. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them to the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, I want to speak with you today about a grave and a sad topic, but a really important topic. Uh, that is the topic of unbelief. Uh, in January and February, we, we filled in our Making Christ Known cards. We did that last February, uh, where we commit to praying for a few individuals that they might come to know and trust uh, the Lord Jesus. My question is this, why haven't these people we love come to know Jesus? Why don't they believe in Jesus? These people we pray for, these people we love, these people we invite to hear about Jesus, why don't they believe in Jesus? I mean, you know this, Jesus is so good. His forgiveness is so free. Life in Christ is full to the brim with meaning. Jesus makes sense of the world around us. Jesus makes sense of our suffering. We would give up everything before we gave up our reliance on Jesus. And so why don't these people, why don't more people Come to believe in him. Now, you don't need me to tell you that we're not the first generation to ask this question. Uh, Christians asked this question 100 years ago. Christians asked this question 1,000 years ago. In fact, it was, right, it was the right question to ask in Jesus' time. Uh, you know the purpose of the Gospel of John, uh, John 20, verse 30. Uh, J Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the book. But here's the problem where we're up to in John chapter 12. Now in Jerusalem, in the week of Jesus' death, still many, many Jewish people don't believe. 
So back to our question, why don't people believe? In fact, God's people asked that question, where is belief, where is faith, even before Jesus? This question came up in the book of Isaiah, uh, where he says, Lord, who has believed our message? And that's the question found in Isaiah 53 and quoted here in our passage John chapter in John chapter 12 as we're faced with this question of belief. And in this passage, uh, we see unbelief from three different angles. First, we see unbelief from the angle of the Old Testament prophet. Uh, second, we see unbelief from the angle of the fearful, mixed-up Jewish leaders. Uh, and, and third, we see unbelief from the angle of the Lord. See, here Jesus sums up belief and unbelief uh, in this closing section of his final and uh, part of his public ministry before he goes behind closed doors with the disciples to teach them. Uh, so today, three angles on unbelief, uh, the prophet, the leaders, and the Lord. Let me pray for us as we begin. Uh, dear Father, please give us great wisdom as we come to your word. Uh, we grieve the unbelief of people we love, people we know, people we don't. Uh, and as we approach this issue, help us to understand unbelief from your perspective. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had anyone say to you, I'd believe if God showed himself to me. If he showed me by something miraculous, if I could see with my own eyes, if I could reach out and touch something miraculous, then I'd believe. You had someone say that to you? Well, look, maybe they would believe. However, the evidence in John chapter 12 says they wouldn't. Have a look at John chapter 12, verse 37. Uh, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Uh, and then it's followed by Isaiah's quote, uh, Isaiah's quote. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so it is at this point that we're introduced to the prophet's angle on unbelief. Uh, to us, this seems like a surprise in the momentum uh, at this moment at the end of chapter 12. For leading up to chapter 11 and 12, we've seen the light of the world has come into the world and he's been shining. He's been pointing to the Father through healing, through providing food for multitude, through an array of miraculous works. And we've seen belief. Uh, in chapter 11, we saw the brilliant faith of Mary. Uh, she said in 11.27, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And then you see all the interest of Jerusalem in the miracle involving Mary's brother, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, you see uh, the, the joy and the elation with which they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as the king. There was so much excitement. 12.18 says that many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
And, and so in this section of 11 and 12, it feels like you get this snowballing effect, this momentum of belief in Jesus. And, and then we get the handbrake turn of reality in verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, still they would not believe in him. And then you get the, these words of Isaiah. Uh, verse 39 goes on, For this reason they could not believe. As Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Uh, so just as the prophet Isaiah is astonished at unbelief in his time, we see that this prophetic utterance is fulfilled in the time of Jesus, who is the suffering servant prophesied by Messiah. And these words strike us here. It's the surprise from the prophet we hear that they could not believe. Verse 39, they could not believe. Now, I don't know about you, but these verses make me really uncomfortable. Uh, that those spoken of, the Jews of Jesus' time, the Jewish people of Jesus' time, could not believe because their eyes had been blinded. It's worth just pausing to dig into that discomfort here. Why is that such a discomforting thought that God would blind the eyes and harden the hearts? Uh, perhaps this challenges our belief about God's fairness or consistency. Uh, perhaps we have in our minds that all people have an equal opportunity to know God and to respond to him. Is that it? It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how quickly we forget that what is fair is for us all to be judged. Uh, that is what we, outside of Christ, deserve of our own actions and inaction. Uh, that God is introducing us to Jesus and all that he's done is actually a gift, uh, not a right. Uh, if you want to chase down that thought, uh, can I commend you read Romans 9 to 11, where the apostle deals with this issue of the hardening of the hearts of the Jewish people. We're reminded here in Romans 9, 18, that God has mercy on those whom he wants, and he hardens whom he hardens. The apostle reminds us uh, of the potter and the clay. We're the clay. Who are we to speak back to God about what he does with the clay of his own creation? It's also uh, right to ask why we're uncomfortable with this activity of God when it's entirely consistent with the way that God has acted in the past. You might remember in Exodus, uh, it's frequently said that both God hardened Pharaoh's heart, like in 421, and that, hardened Pharaoh, uh, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, like in 815. The relationship between these two actions is never explained. And what is more, the people listening to Jesus here, they know Isaiah, they know Exodus. Uh, and so what is God doing in this last moment of Jesus' public ministry? Uh, when it seems that the Jewish people have hardened their hearts. Why would God blind eyes and harden Jewish hearts at this point in history? Well, the fact that Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah is actually the avenue by which Jesus achieves his goal. 
Uh, in the same way that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, leading to God's people going free, so the same we see here. Here it was key to Jesus' mission that the Jews as a whole would not believe in him. Otherwise, if they believed in him, why would the rulers seek to put him to death on the cross? But it was Jesus' mission to be put to death as Isaiah 53's suffering servant and then rise again. So of course God would so arrange things that the Jewish leadership who Jesus spoke to would not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Did God do this hardening, at least temporarily, so that the Jewish people put Jesus to death, as predicted? Seems to be the case, doesn't it? And then soften their hearts, as it seems he did after that. Uh, uh, because that's what seems to happen in the next book of the New Testament, uh, in the book of Acts, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. We see the church in Jerusalem grows as a result of many Jewish people becoming believers. And that includes priests uh, who came to believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ. You can see that in Acts chapter 2 and 5 and 6. In that case, after Jesus ascended to heaven, Jewish hearts, including the heart of Jewish leadership, are softened by God so that they can believe the gospel. And therefore, the, the, the hardening and blindness of which John speaks is temporary and for a particular purpose. But of course, here, we've got to recognize that we're trying to work out the purposes of God, uh, which are always, it's always a little bit speculative until God tells us the purposes for which he acted. Uh, and so, friends, we're in difficult territory. We must keep wrestling to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Uh, but it's right to wrestle with the prophets over the fairness of God's judgment. It, it's important to recognise that with hard hearts, we and, and all our making Christ no names d deserve the judgment of God. I don't think we know enough of God's purposes to say that uh, God has hardened the hearts of our family and friends. That is, I don't think we can apply this passage directly to our time. We simply don't have access to God's mind on this. But we know this of God. God graciously offers salvation in Jesus as a gift, not because we deserve it. Uh, that is the message of John, that people might believe. We keep offering that message to anyone who will listen. So the prophet's angle on unbelief is this. Unbelief has come in Isaiah's time, and he prophesied that the hard hardening of unbelief would actually come again in Jesus' time. And as a result, we see the Jewish people rejecting Jesus and putting him to death. So that's the prophet's angle on unbelief. It's good to recognize our discomfort with the thought of God's hardening of hearts. Yet as we look back on it, we, we recognize that this occurred for the achievement of God's purposes of glory and salvation. Now more briefly, we'll move on to the leader's perspective and then the Lord's perspective. Now, the leader's perspective. In the discussion of unbelief, the leaders just here have a really interesting cameo appearance uh, because al although they have consistently hunted Jesus down, you see here there is a desire for Jesus, which, which kind of, as the reader, catches us by surprise, particularly in the context of unbelief. Uh, there is this belief amongst the leaders, yet they haven't overcome their fear of the implications of their belief. Let's have a look at it. Uh, it's, uh, you can see it with me uh, in verse uh, 42. Uh, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. That is in Jesus. 
So who are they? Who are they? these rulers? Uh, we've met some of them in, in John. John 3, we met Nicodemus, who was both a ruler or a leader and a Pharisee. Uh, but it seems that he was a bit unusual. It seems that generally in like chapter 7 and chapter 12, the rulers and the Pharisees have different opinions. Um, they, they take different positions on Jesus. Either way, the belief that we see here is unexpected. Uh, perhaps this is setting us up for chapter 19 when we see two rulers ask for Jesus' body off the cross that they might bury him with honour, uh, the men Nicodemus uh, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, our time with the leaders, though, starts well, doesn't stay all that positive. Have a look at the, the rest of verse 42 there. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. It's important here, uh, important to note here in this chapter with so many uh, references to glory, that the word for praise here in verse 43 is the same word for glory. That is, the leaders loved the glory that comes from people more than the glory that comes from God. They preferred to be honoured by their peers than honoured by their God. If only we could hold our uh, hands on our hearts and say the same thing about ourselves. But it's very easy to be critical of these leaders. But of course, to publicly believe in Jesus' name for them means being thrown out of the synagogue. We've seen that before in John. Uh, the synagogue is the very centre of their community, where they have influence, where they have a place of service and value, giving, uh, giving all of that up in their culture that so deeply values honour and fears shame. Uh, it's a bit like a North Korean becoming a Christian or a Muslim becoming a follower of the Lord, losing their community and their relationships in the process of following Jesus. And so this is what we see here. It's this weird mix of belief and unbelief. Uh, there's this kind of silent belief amongst some leaders. But of course we're right to ask, is that the belief that Jesus was calling for? Uh, the reformer John Calvin comments that these leaders were bound by the golden shackles of earthly honours and so were kept from honouring God. Uh, in this, they stand in stark contrast to the Lord Jesus, who consistently renounced all honour except for the honour of his Father. Uh, we, we saw this uh, just uh, last week. Um, see, see the, the leaders were, were struck by the prospect of condemnation from their community, just as we saw last week that Jesus was struck by the prospect of death. Uh, what did Jesus prefer? You remember chapter 12, verse 27? Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus would die for his Father's glory, unlike the leaders. Jesus, there we have leadership. That is the ruler to follow. And so uh, that is the angle on leadership. So firstly, we've seen the prophetic angle on unbelief. And here we see the leader's angle on, on belief and unbelief. Uh, there is belief there, but it's a pretty underwhelming expression of belief that is constrained by the fear of others. And it's not a belief that will stand up against the calls for the execution of Jesus. And now thirdly, the final word on unbelief is, is left uh, by uh, the, 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 the writer of the John's Gospel to Jesus. 
Uh, and this is really is Jesus concluding his public ministry uh, before he uh, goes off with his disciples to teach them uh, prior to the cross. What does he say? What does Jesus say concerning belief and unbelief? Uh, Jesus says that in the end, all people are responsible for their unbelief. And in the final judgment, unbelief will be condemned. You see it there in verse 48. There is a judge uh, for the one who rejects me, uh, for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. So even though God works in the way that the prophets have said, uh, each person is responsible for their reaction to God. Now, Jesus works towards uh, this statement by summarizing much of what he's said in his public ministry amongst the Jewish people until this point. Uh, he is quick to tie together his relationship with the Father and use that repeated image of light and darkness. Uh, see, see, Jesus clarifies the relationship between the Son and the Father. Uh, he clarifies that Jesus has been sent by the Father and fully obeys the Father. Uh, more than that, Jesus is uniquely one with the Father. To see and hear the Son is to see and hear the Father. Uh, now, unbelief doesn't recognize that Jesus has been sent from the Father. Uh, perhaps the leaders were willing to believe that Jesus is the miracle worker, but not willing to believe that he was sent by the God of their precious synagogue. Uh, we see here that Jesus also uh, is the light of the world. Uh, to believe in him is to receive the light of salvation. And so to reject Jesus means to choose to stay in darkness and face future judgment. And this judgment will be based on the words that Jesus has spoken, because they are the words that the Father commanded him to speak. And so as Jesus concludes his public ministry, he's very clear that his ministry, the words he has spoken are his Father's words. Believing him, coming into the light, brings salvation whereas continuing in unbelief leaves you exposed in, in the coming time of judgment. Uh, so friends, as we come to the end of Jesus' uh, public ministry in the book of John, uh, this is quite a, quite a sombre and grave passage, isn't it? I almost wonder whether the soundtrack of this passage should, should be the last post. There is just a, a depth and a sadness of this passage here. Uh, that even after all these miracles, Jesus finds unbelief. Unbelief is, is not what we'd hope to see after all he's done. Unbelief is not what we'd hope uh, for after seeing all that the light of the world has said after he's come into the world uh, and yet met with the continued darkness from the Jewish people. Uh, however, the angle of the prophet Isaiah uh, is that this was expected. And, and so we've seen today that unbelief is entirely consistent with the prophet Isaiah's words, that God would blind the eyes and harden hearts. And this is what plays out as the Jewish leaders and the people call for Jesus' death. From the leader's angle, we see that their belief and unbelief uh, the belief is not strong enough to stop the public condemnation of Jesus. And, of course, we finished with the Lord's angle where, where he, he, he summarised that he is the light of the world and that he and the Father are one. 
and all who remain in their unbelief will face judgment. Uh, For us, as we wrestle with the prophets over fairness of God's judgment, uh, we recognise again that our hearts, in our hearts, we, we deserve the judgment of God. And yet God has been gracious to us in offering us salvation in Jesus. Uh, We've recognised in ourselves the temptation to be half-hearted in our belief, like the leaders who sadly desire the praise of their peers over the praise of God. And we've heeded the warning of Jesus himself that unbelief means to live in darkness and under God's judgment. It is a heavy and a sombre passage. It's always heavy and sombre to reflect on judgment, isn't it? It's grave and it's sobering. Uh, But in a busy news cycle, in a busy year, it does help reorient us towards the most important day this world will ever see. And so, friends, in closing, we're going to sing uh, a sing of that day The third verse of this song that we're going to sing says this, We belong to the day. We were bought with Jesus' blood. Soon he comes as the judge. In the power of his word, we must tell of his salvation while we wait. For the day when Jesus comes will be too late. Let's sing this together.